Hello, Revolution. What's up? That was all right. That was all right. Let's hear it one more time. How you guys doing? Much, much better. Thank you. Hey, I have just a few announcements tonight. I'm talking about some small groups that are starting um, this week and next week. Um, Brandon Pate and his lovely wife um, are starting a Bible study. It's called Love and Respect over the book Love and Respect. And that will be here on Wednesdays um, at 6 p.m. So if you are a couple um, or even just a random male or female that would love to learn more about love and respect, then please join that group. Um, Chris Jones is holding a Bible study or a small group called Behold Your God. He's going to be going through book there, and that's going to be Monday nights at 6 p.m. also here. So both of those are uh, Mondays. We actually have, um, in the back room, we have some a table set up with all the times and, and what the Bibles are called. So if you guys forget what I'm telling you here, as we end the service, you guys can feel free to look at those and sign up. And um, they'll get your contact information, and we, they can plug you in the groups as they need to. Um, Dustin Cooley is also having one. Um, it's uh, basic Christianity. He's going through a bunch of big points that, um, as Christians, as believers, we should we should really know. Um, so that's going to be a really good one, too. That's Tuesdays at 7 p.m. at the Guy's Rev House. If you don't know where that's at, it's at 706 Campbell. It's on the corner of um, 7th and Campbell. Um, that should be a good time, too. And uh, we will be going through, uh, at the college, um, Revolution Bible Study, we're going through Luke. So whatever Dowdy preaches on, on Sundays, um, we're going to be hitting going kind of fine-tuning in that and hitting some details and kind of breaking apart and um, asking some questions about his messages on Sundays. And that will be on Mondays at 8 p.m. So if you're at college and you want to be involved in that, um, or if you have some kids want to be involved with that, they go to Shawnee, um, let them know, put them on the thing, and we'll, we'll get a hold of them on Facebook or text them or whatever, and we'll get you guys plugged in. Um, okay, that's all the announcements I really have, except I lied. Um, next week we'll be doing communion. Um, hopefully we'll have some more college students here. And so we'll be doing communion next week, and we'll be having food afterwards. And so make sure you come next week too. So that's all I have. If you guys want to greet each other and maybe talk about some New Year's resolutions that you're going to not complete, um, go ahead and do that. Just kidding. Let's greet someone you don't know. That is a little tree planted on a little hill. And on that tree hangs the most influential character that ever came in this world. Never feel that that tree is a meaningless drama that took place on the stages of history. Oh no, it is a telescope through which we look out into the long distance of eternity. See the love of God breaking forth into time. It is an eternal reminder to a power-drunk generation that love is the only way. It is an eternal reminder to a generation depending on nuclear and atomic energy, a generation depending on physical violence, that love is the only creative, redemptive, transforming power in the universe. So this morning, as I look into your eyes, and into the eyes of all my brothers in Alabama and all over America and over the world, I say to you, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. 
And I'm foolish enough to believe that through the power of this love somewhere, many of the most recalcitrant things will be transformed. And then we will be in God's kingdom. We will be able to matriculate into the university of eternal life because we have the power to love our enemies, to bless those persons of curses, who even decide to be good to those persons who hated us, we even pray for those persons who despitefully used us. Um, if you couldn't tell by the video, that, that was uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. That was a pretty awesome bit from one of his speeches. We're going to be talking about loving your enemies this evening. Um, we're going to talk about loving people who do wrong to you. So just quick show of hands. Have you ever read something in the Bible and all you think is like, for real, Lord? Like, seriously, God? Like, you're going to throw that on me today? You, you cannot be serious. Like, you just had to say that, right? Anyone else? Like, I feel like that on a regular basis. It's seriously, it's like every time that, like, I, like, go like, pick up my Bible, it's like the Holy Spirit's over in a corner, like, lacing up some boxing gloves. And as soon as I start reading it, he just, like, delivers the gnarliest right hook to my face ever. All that I'm saying is, like, Chuck Liddell has nothing on the Holy Spirit whenever it comes to beating Christians down. That, that's just me. Um... UFC fighter, Holy Spirit, whatever. Um, But this past week is one of those times especially for me um, where I just took a beating all week long studying for this. Um, You know, a lot of us have heard, you know, you should love your enemies. We know, uh, those of us at least who grew up in church or have any idea of what Christianity teaches, that Jesus says to love your enemies. And usually what we do is we check the box. Like whenever we read this, like we check this little box that says, yep, that's what I should do, (laughs) right? Like, uh, like, that's what I do, at least. Um, but we don't actually reflect on how do we do this? Like, how far deep down into us does this command go? And this thought runs against every fiber in our being. Right? We don't want to do this at all, ever. Like, ever, ever, ever. Because we want to hate our enemies. Like, let's just call it what it is. We want to hate our enemies. We want to return whatever feeling someone gives to us. We want to reciprocate that back to them, and it's natural. I'm not saying it's okay. Like, don't mistake me on that. But it's natural, because naturally, we are wicked, depraved, God-rebelling sinners. So our natural bent is to hate people that hate us. But let's make this real for a second. Let's, let's not make this vague about our enemies. Um, Who do you despise? Think about it. Like, who do you, and I got got a couple people in my head, I'm just going to be totally real with you guys. Who can you not stand? Right? Everyone has someone who has hurt them. Everyone has someone who has mocked them, taken something from them, used them over and over again, abused them. Everyone has at least one person like that. You know, we all have someone that we feel like they owe us for what they've done. You know, and honestly, sometimes these feelings might really be justifiable, right? So keep this person in your mind this whole evening while we're talking about what Jesus has to say about loving your enemies. Now, like I said, I've got people in my life like this. I'm, I'm not pointing the finger at all because, like, I always say, like, preachers have to, like, study all week before they can deliver a sermon on Sunday because, like, we have to take, like, the worst beating of all time, like, reading the text for, like, the first four days so that we can say anything with any conviction to you guys on Sundays. Um, so this isn't me pointing the finger. This is, this is me saying that this sucks and this hurts, you know? Like, for me, everything in me wants to hate my biological father. 
Um, he walked out on me and my sister, um, chose to, to pick a life of chasing women and shooting heroin. Um, he beat my mother for the seven years that they were together. I saw him less than ten times in my life. Every fiber in my being wants to hate that man. You know, um, there are people that are still living. My, my, my father passed away last year of a heroin overdose. Um, and I still have to work on forgiving him even though he's not around anymore. Um, I still want to hate him. Um, you know, there are people still alive that I feel like have either abandoned me or walked out on me or have tried to ruin my reputation that I still, to this day, struggle with forgiving. Um, so this passage that we're going to look at this evening is, is freaking hard, right? It's super tough, and I don't like it. Seriously, like I do not, like most days, I do not wish that this was in the Bible. But here's the thing, it is, right? It is in the Bible, and Jesus said it. Right, and if Jesus said it, then it's not optional, and it holds infinite weight over those of us who would follow Jesus. It's a decree from our king. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36 this evening, and we're going to be taking a look at how we're supposed to love people who have done us wrong. So uh, I'll, I'll just so you guys know, there's Bibles in there. There's blue Bibles out in the seats. You can use those, or if you're lazy like me, it's going to be on the projector behind me. But those Bibles are our gift to you. We want you to take that home. It's a super good translation. Um, but to set the stage, Jesus had just, uh, just finished telling us that we will suffer if we follow him. Right? That we're going to have religious enemies that hate us because we love Jesus and we trust in him for our salvation instead of whatever that they think that we should be doing. So he set the stage in that regard, that we're going to suffer somehow. We're going to have to deal with some persecution. But then Jesus takes it a lot deeper in this passage. Um, and it's, it's less of religious opponents and more of people in general that hurt you. So it's not just a religious thing, but this is... Um, a very general, people aren't going to like you. Uh, so Luke six twenty seven through 36, this is Jesus' words. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. And if someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For he, God, is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. This is a really hard text. Like I, like I said before, and you're going to hear me say probably more than once, I don't like this. Because my knee-jerk thing is not to forgive people. It's not to turn the other cheek. It's not to keep loving people that I know don't like me. But if we're going to talk about loving our enemies, and I just want to let you guys know there's a lot of nuances to this text. This is literally like, like one of the most widely debated on text because it's such a hard command. And people want to know, how far does this go? How much do I have to love my enemy? Am I really not supposed to... Um, ask for my stuff back whenever someone steals from me, things like that. And I'm just going to come clean with you guys. I'm not going to address a lot of that. 
Um, I can talk to you guys one-on-one, -on -one, or you guys can message me on Facebook or whatever if you have any questions about this text, but I don't have time. You could probably preach 20 sermons on this text alone and still not hit everything. So we're going to hit the overarching theme of love your enemies and what this looks like and what this means. I just wanted to come clean with you guys so you know where we're going. Love your enemies. So who is our enemy? That seems like the most logical question to ask. And you know, I actually found something out that was pretty cool. I looked up the Greek word for enemy, and guess what it means? Freaking means enemy, right? It's the same thing as it means in English. No tricks there, all right? Enemy means enemy. It's the same thing that we think of, all right? So the question is, who's your enemy? Who's hurt you? Right? Who has done wrong to you? Who do you not like? Right? Whether or not they've done something huge or not, big one, who are you not at peace with right now? Who are you not at fully at peace with right now because either you've done something to them or they've done something to you or whatever it is? I want you guys to understand how like a small thing can create an enemy. And usually whenever we think of like, well, I don't really hate anybody, we're thinking of like real big things. Like, well, no one killed anyone in my family, so I don't have like a grudge like that on somebody. Um, but think smaller than that, right? Who are you not at peace with right now? So I want you guys to know this doesn't have to be some kind of movie rivalry from like the DC comic universe where it's Batman versus the Joker. It's nothing like that. Um, although it can be, right? This isn't either or, this is both and. This is anyone that you're not at peace with, um, so enemies, simply put, are people who don't like us, right? who don't seek our best interests, who don't care about us, and have done things to us that we do not like. And our knee-jerk reaction to these people is to avoid them, say, screw that guy, and return the kind of feelings that they've given to us right back to them. That's what we want to do, but Jesus gives us the command, love them. So what does Jesus mean by love? What does Jesus mean by love? I told him to put what is love up there, hoping that someone would catch the thank you. Someone sang it. Night of the Roxbury, anyone? No? Whatever. I'm a Will Ferrell fan. Um, so what does Jesus mean by love? Um, and there actually is a little bit of nuance to this. There's, a, there's a different types of love in the Greek language that, that this word is written in. We just have one word, love. Um, and, and the word that Jesus used here is agape. Um, story time. My mom is a saint. Uh, she's in the back row, if y'all didn't know that. Uh, she is a beautiful woman. She loves me. Um, now, some of you might know this about me, or just by looking at me, guess this. I was a friggin' punk growing up. All right? I, some would still say I am. Whatever. Um, probably some truth there. All right? From things like getting in a fight with my sister and locking her in the closet for like 10, 15 minutes, not letting her out. Uh, to burning the curtains in the living room. That was a thing. Mom went out for milk one time, and I set the curtains on fire. Um, right, we, we do, right, for going from things like that where I was just always in trouble as a kid, always giving her a hard time, and then I get older. Um, and some of you guys know my story. Um, I would come home drunk, get caught, uh, caught red-handed, stoned out of my gourd, had no idea what's going on. Um, eventually I became an atheist and became incredibly hateful towards my family, especially whenever my mom told me that she had become a Christian. I'll never forget that phone call. I cussed her up, up one side and down the other. It was bad. I treated my mother like garbage, um, rebelling against her, never doing anything she wanted me to, never even showing her the slightest bit of respect ever. And after I converted to Christianity, after Jesus called me to himself and began to change me, I went to my mom. I said, Mom, when I was doing all that crazy crap, did you love me? She said, David, you're my son. You could be a murderer and I would still love you, which that made me feel kind of good. I don't plan on killing anybody, but that made me feel kind of good. Um, 
But then she said this. She goes, I didn't like you, though. Ah, like, that's a dagger. Right? Your mom's like, I didn't want to, like, hang out with you. I didn't really want to talk to you most of the time. You were a jerk. <laughs> right? Um, but I still loved you. That's what she told me. And she did. Right? She took care of me. She would give me the things that I needed. She would never give me an abundance of things that I needed because she knew that I was spending it on drugs and other things, and she knew that she didn't want me to hurt myself um, and, and, and stuff like that. So she gave me what I needed. She took care of me no matter what, and she loved me through everything. She was there for me even during my most rebellious t- um, times. And that's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here. Agape. Agape love um, of like the four different kind of Greek words for love. It's this active um, seeking to help, um, always available for you, never failing, never withholding anything. I don't care what you do. I will always love you, like Whitney Houston style, faithful love. All right, that, that's what this agape love is. And I want you guys to know this too. This kind of love is not a feeling. Yeah, take that, Hollywood. Love is not a feeling at all. Like this is a verb. Love is a verb. Jesus says, love your enemies. He doesn't say, feel a certain way about them. He says, love, this agape, I will help you no matter what. Uh, And just a little side note for you, no matter what kind of love, romantic love, love for your children, love for your best friend, uh, whatever, love is always a choice. It's never an emotion in and of itself. Like if you're married, and I'm sure I can get some amens from married dudes if their wives weren't here, you don't always feel like loving your spouse and vice versa because dudes are jerks too. That sounded sexist. I didn't mean it that way. Um, like dudes are like, you're not always going to feel like loving your spouse, but you'll choose to if you're a Christian. You won't always feel like loving your kids, but you'll choose to if you're a Christian. It's always a choice. It's always an action. It's never an emotion by itself. Now, emotions might come with love, but they're never emotions just by themselves. So what Jesus is doing here, he's not commanding us to like our enemies. He's not at all. Um, he's not like telling you to hang out with them on the reg and like be their best bro. But what he is saying is we must be willing to seek out the best interest of our enemies, even though we might not be their buddies. So what this kind of looks like for us is that we won't deny them help, right? Even no matter what people have done to us, we will not deny them help. If they need help, we see it or they ask for it, especially that we will give to them if they need, if we see something that they could use, that they need, we actively go and help them. We pray for them. So side note on that, it's really hard to talk badly about somebody when you're praying for them on a regular basis. My mom always told me that. And I thought it was bull. I test ran it. It is like really hard uh, if you're praying for someone on like a daily basis to say something bad about them to someone else. Um, you know, it looks like we're going to actively, like Jesus says, bless those who curse you. We're going to actively ask God to show favor in their lives and reveal himself to them and do good for them, even if they're wishing bad on us. And again, it's really hard to wish bad things happen to somebody if you're praying for it, like for good things to happen to them. It'd just be really ironic um, to, to do that. So what we do is we buck against this really, really, really hard. Right? And we say, like, Jesus, you don't understand what this person has done to me. This cannot apply to me. This person has done too much. But Jesus, with a backhand, gives us incredibly sweeping, huge cat- categories uh, that people can hurt us. Right, the first thing is just people curse you. All right? This is whenever people want bad things to happen to you. They, like, de- they desire your ruin. They, they want just, I don't know any other, any other way to say it. Like they might want you dead. They might want something to happen to your kids. They might want you to lose your job, whatever. And you know it. 
right? This isn't a secret. Like, they're open about this. They freaking hate you, and you know it. All right, that's what, like, that, this kind of cursing where you just know someone can't stand you. And that's one way that people hate us, and that hurts. The second way, Jesus says, whenever people hurt you, which I think can be a lot more than just physical abuse. I think this is physical abuse. This is mental abuse where someone says something to you and just plants like this ninja star in your brain and it just won't leave. And it creates scars much deeper than any beating could ever give you and you carry it with you for years, right? Emotional abuse. I don't know what what people suffered as children or what people have suffered in relationships, but this kind of abuse, not just physical hurt. But Jesus says whenever someone strikes you on the cheek to turn the other cheek, and what this is, this category is being mocked, right? Um, whenever someone would kick you out of the temple, they would public, like, uh, take, kick you out of the synagogue, which happened to Jesus and his disciples pretty regularly. Um, you'd get backhanded by the synagogue leader in public. It, it was public humiliation. It was, it was shame. It was scorn on you. It wasn't so much about a beating, but it was about being made fun of in public and your reputation being destroyed because you've been backhanded openly. So you said, you get mocked. People make you feel that tall in public. And Jesus says, whenever someone takes your coat, offer your shirt also, right? So whenever someone takes something from you, and this is a really big one. Um, this doesn't mean just being stolen off of, although I think that that bears some weight too. Or if someone takes something that belongs to you, you should have such an agape love for them that if they came to you later and said, you know, hey man, I'm hungry, I need some help. Or hey man, like I'm going to lose my house, that you would try to help them as much as you could, even though they did that to you. Um, but I think it goes way deeper than just material stuff. Um, you know, someone took my childhood from me because I didn't have a father. Um, you know, someone took my innocence from me because I saw too much in my household growing up. Um, someone took my virginity from me against my will, and I can't get that back. Someone took my dignity from me whenever they cheated on me. Someone took my trust, and now I feel like I don't have the ability to trust someone anymore or love them or love anyone anymore because something was taken from me so deep. I think that it can go a lot deeper than just material things. Um, So what Jesus has done here with these four big sweeping categories, he's pretty much covered the gamut of the ways that people hurt us. And that's because Jesus is, like, hands down the greatest teacher that ever lived. Right? He leaves us with no excuses. Because any way that anyone hurts you, they will fit in one of those four categories, I guarantee it. You know, he covers all of his bases that could lead us to hate people. Now, what I want you guys to do now is I want you to get in your mind, right, that person that you don't like. I want you to think about what they did. I want you to get it right here, and I want you to hold it. Right, think about what makes you mad about it how angry you are with that person, and then hear this, do to others as you would like them to do to you. I hate this. <laughs> right? Like, uh, I don't, anyone else like a huge grudge holder? Like, I'm, just, I'm being trying to be transparent up here. No one? No one holds grudges? I, I know some of you. You guys are liars. <laughs> You're liars and grudge holders. God, save this church. Right? <laughs> like, Seriously, like someone could have like said like a your mama joke to me when I was nine years old. And now that we're 22, my mom's like, hey, did you hear so-and-so got married and is working at the bank? I'm like, yeah, screw that guy. You don't know what he said to me when we were in the fourth grade. All right, that's <laughs> like, that's seriously like I have a tendency to be that way. Um, but honestly, um, I, I really do have a problem with staying hateful uh, towards people who have wronged me. Um, you know, like I said, with my biological father walking out, like I have a hard time with that. Like he wronged not just me, but me and my sister and my mother. Um, 
he did all kinds of things to my family. I have a hard time letting that go sometimes. Um, I had a, a girl cheat on me and just wreck my world, and I do not want to let go of that sometimes, and it's incredibly hard to, to, to love her. Um, not in a romantic way, but it's really hard to pray that, that she come to know Jesus. It's really hard to pray that good things happen to her. Um, it sucks, man. Like, I, I have a problem with this. So whenever we hear Jesus' command, right, the golden rule, do unto others as, as you would have them do to you, um, we're going to ask, what did he mean? Right? Because we're dumb, and often we know exactly what Jesus meant. <laughs> we just really hope he meant something else. Like I did, seriously. Like I studied the guts out of this. Like that's got to mean something else. It doesn't really mean that I have to do unto others. So often we get it, but we want it to mean something else. This is seek out good for other people. This is actually, this is kind of a cool thought that I found out. This is an active command. And this is also a positive command. He's saying like positively go out and search for ways to do to someone else what I would want. So usually what's actually happened is like teachers give like this negative command. Um, Jesus gives this positive one, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then we hear this negative command that just rings throughout our culture that says, don't do to other people what you hate. Right? We hear this like reversed backwards version of Jesus' command. You know, it's become really acceptable in our culture. You know, live and let live. Right? You know, like, that person hurt me, I'm not going to hurt them back. Um, but I'm not going to help them either, right? Um, if they fall off the face of the earth tomorrow, I really don't care. But what that does is that's not love. That just boils down to apathy, where you just don't care about anybody anymore that's harmed you. You're not going to hurt them, but that's not love. Right? So what Jesus is doing is he's raising the bar for those of us who would follow him. So we have to actively seek ways to show our love to our enemies. And this is hard, and this makes us indignant, and this really ticks us off. Right? We, we ask the question, who is Jesus to demand this from me? All right, this is all good on paper, but he doesn't understand. This is a good ideal, but he can't really expect me to do this. It's too hard. But I'm here to tell you this. This is a good rule of thumb to go by because it's true whenever you read Scripture. Um, Jesus never asks us to do anything that he won't do himself first. Never forget that. Whenever Jesus gives us a command, he always is willing to do it first. So Jesus, we look at his life, we see that he was cursed by people, that he was hurt by people, that he was humiliated, that he had everything taken from him that could have been taken. Right? We see that everywhere that he taught, the Pharisees and the people that, that didn't like his teaching got together and sought to have him killed. Everyone but his close followers wanted him dead. I talk about cursing, right? Cursing somebody, not wanting anything good to happen to him. They were plotting to kill him. We, we fast forward and see they finally get what they want. Whenever Jesus is on trial for crucifixion, he's beaten, right? Physically beaten beyond recognition that he was emotion. He had to have been emotionally crushed whenever Judas betrayed him, right? One of his best friends for three years just up and sells him for money, turns him over to people that want him dead, right? He was mocked by his own family who said, dude, you're crazy. Come home. You're full of it. Stop, right? He's kicked out of synagogues on a regular basis. He's called an agent of Satan whenever he is the son of God. He's humiliated publicly on a regular basis. Talk about someone taking something from you. Jesus literally had his clothes stolen from him. He was completely naked on the cross, 
More so than that, right? We go further than just clothes. All of his possessions taken from him. All of his dignity stripped from him. All of his masculinity stripped from him. Everything is taken from Jesus. Jesus understands what it's like to be hurt, what it's like to be wronged. Jesus doesn't just know how people can hurt you, like an intellectual thing. Jesus knows how people hurt you because he has been hurt first in ways that we cannot imagine that most of us will never have to deal with ever. But what does Jesus do whenever everyone in the world hated him? He continued toward the cross. He marched on. He kept loving. He kept pouring himself out for the very people who hated him, who were killing him. On the cross, he prayed for the people who were murdering him. He would mourn the fact that people wouldn't come to him. And he mourned the fact that they wouldn't trust him and follow him and love him because he loved them so much himself. It broke his heart. But nonetheless, he kept loving. He kept pursuing their good and he marched toward the cross. And he did the same for us. We hated him. We hated Jesus. We prove that every day and some of us still prove that every day because we are completely disobedient to his commands and we do not submit to him as Lord and Savior of our lives. We prove by how we live that we hate Jesus, that we want nothing to do with him. We give him all of our hatred. And we live our lives the way that we see fit. We sin. We rebel against God. And in return, Jesus gives us something too. He gives us the one thing that no one could take from him, but that he could give, and that's his life. And he does it out of love. He never stopped loving us. So in all of our sin and all of our rebellion and us deserving hell, Jesus is sinless and does not deserve any kind of punishment. And yet he lives a life where he is treated awful. He suffers every way that we could, is hated by all kinds of people in every way imaginable. And then after living a life like that, Jesus takes our sin on himself and goes to suffer the greatest injustice of all time. And that is the innocent son of God suffering for guilty men like you and me. And Jesus goes to the cross and suffers the wrath of God for what you and I have done. He dies to be a sacrifice for our sin. And then God raises Jesus from the dead three days later to prove that sin had been paid for. And that if we will trust in Jesus, that we will no longer be an enemy of God. But that we will be a friend of God through what Jesus has done. Jesus loved God's enemies. God loved his own enemies so much that he would give us Jesus to make us his friend. You know, I'll tell you this too. Jesus loves us more than we love us. I was being honest. If it was me, being the son of God, I would have came off the cross, wiped the blood from my eye, and said, it's your turn. That's what I would have done. I would not have died for me. But he stayed there because he loves you. He suffered injustices because he loves you and he was determined to show you that. So if you guys want to know more about what this all means, how to be a follower of Jesus, how, to, how Jesus forgives you for your sins, if you guys want to, someone to pray with you, come see me after the service. 
During the worship music, there'll be a couple people over there by the couches. We want to pray with you. We don't want you to be an enemy of God any longer. We want you to trust what Jesus did for you, suffering in your place, and be a friend of God. Because God loves his enemies. But Christians, if you're not a Christian, you can go on snooze. I'm not talking to you right now. Christians, this is the love that Jesus expects us to have. Right? The, the, the world says this, quid pro quo. Right? Latin word, something for something else. Tit for tat, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Right? That's what the world says love is. Whatever you do to me, I'm going to do back to you. That's fair, that's love, we'll reciprocate. And we have elevated that kind of thinking into a virtue in our culture. Where that's acceptable, that's okay. But what Jesus says is, you know, if you love like that, what credit is that to you? Like, why should God recognize that as any kind of love? Because sinners love that way. What Jesus is saying is, where is the love in that? Where is the self-sacrificial agape love that he's talking about? Where is, where is grace in that? To do what someone else has done to you, whatever the definition of grace is, giving you what you don't deserve, rather than giving you what you do deserve. Where is there true love in any of that? You know, Jesus demands us, his disciples, his followers, to a higher, true, legitimate love. One where we seek for the good of those who have hurt us the most. But why? Why? That's always for me. Why? Why does he expect this from me? Why does he command this? And there's three reasons. One, it's inconsistent for us to hate our enemies when God has showed us this kind of grace. Completely inconsistent. You know, uh, John, in, in the letter First John, he says... He says, how can you say that you love God whom you can't see and hate your brother who you can see? I just think about it logically. Like, how are we going to say, you know, God loved me when I hated him, but screw that guy because he hates me. It doesn't make any sense. And Jesus wants consistency from us. You know, the the second thing, the second reason why Jesus commands this is he says that we will truly be acting as children of God whenever we love our enemies whenever we show people unfailing love, no matter what they do, that we'll be acting the most like God, that we'll be proving our sonship to God, we'll be proving our relationship to God. Loving your enemies won't save you, but he's saying it'll be evident who your daddy is. You know, and I'll say this too, that this was kind of funny. Um, it's, we want to be God, like in everything. We want to make our own rules. We want to do our own will, all that stuff. And God says, you can't be like me in that way. But then whenever God gives us one way that we can completely be like him, we're like, nah, forget that, man. Right? That's, that's, what we're, that's our knee-jerk thing to do. Because it costs to love like God. It costs to be like him. But he says we can prove our sonship whenever we love this way. And the third reason that Jesus would have said this is he says that we're going to receive a reward for loving this way. Right now, I'm not saying no health and wealth, TBN crap. Don't watch that station. That's all garbage. Um, what I am saying is like, like your reward is not material. Whenever Jesus says you'll receive a reward, your reward is the acknowledgement from God that you're doing what pleases him. That whenever you love your enemies, you can know that God is happy with what you're doing. That you're proving to be one of his children. And isn't that reward enough? Isn't that what we want? For God to be proud of us, if you will? Like, yeah, that's my kid. He'll claim us no matter what, but yeah, like that kid's acting like me right now. That's a reward in and of itself. 
Right, so, so there's your why, there's your text, there's all that stuff. Now, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with this? I've taught you guys the majority of what I know about this subject. I want to remind you guys again, this is not an option. This is a demand from King Jesus that is placed on all of us if we will be his disciples. So basically, either we're going to act like his children and show love to people that hate us, or we're going to prove that we have no relationship to God. Those are our options. Like, we'll be known for how we love people is what Jesus says. All right, so, so what does this look like, man? Like, what are you guys supposed to do? I don't know. I seriously don't. I don't know what you guys are supposed to do um, in your day-to-day lives. I, I do know this, though. Look for opportunities to, to show grace and do good to people that you know don't like you or that you actively right now don't like. You know, like, I don't, I don't know, compliment the dude that you work with that called you an idiot last week, right? Or, or say something nice about that dude or help him do his portion of the work that he's struggling with. And, and let, that, let that person know at work that, that said something or done something to you. I'm not going to return tit for tat here, man. I'm going to show you grace because I've been shown grace. Right? I, don't know, I don't know if that's a, a thing that you can do. You know, you can pray for the father who abandoned you. Um. Like the, the, the dad who maybe is in your house, but he's a really bad dad. You can pray for him. You know, if, if you have someone that you have conflict with and, and, and you know that they need for something, just do it. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Seek a conversation with your enemy and, and, and graciously try to reconcile what went wrong with that person. What went wrong, not with that person, but with your relationship to this person? What happened? Because I'll tell you what, whenever you do this, it's so shocking to a world that says, this for this, whatever you do, I'm going to do. It's so shocking to show that kind of love and grace to people that you know don't like you. It's going to take them like so far back. Like, what? Why? It's a shock to their system, the same kind of shock to our system that we had whenever we first believed in Jesus. People don't understand it. So even if it's something small, just start doing something to show some grace and love to the people around you. You Put your pride aside, man. Remember that you deserve no forgiveness and you deserve no love and you deserve no mercy from Jesus, but he gave it to you anyway. So how could we not show that same kind of love to people? And then this might feel fake, but love's not a feeling. It's an action. You don't have to like this person, but you have to be willing to help them. But I'll say this too. Um, the world can't love like this. Seriously, the world cannot love like this consistently at all. You might see it once in a while, but the world cannot consistently love like this because it is utter foolishness to people who do not know Jesus to live this way. It makes no sense. You will gain nothing from it. But what Jesus does for us, those of us who are Christians, is he gives us the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that empowers us to absorb the wrongs that people have done and repay them with goodness. You can't do this on your own. I don't have any confidence in anyone in this congregation, but I have full confidence in the Holy Spirit that he will empower you to do what Jesus has commanded you because Jesus never will command you to do anything that he will not empower you by the Holy Spirit to do as a fact. So this seems impossible, but I'm asking you to try. There's more power in you if you're a Christian than you could fully fathom, not because of you, but because of the Holy Spirit in you. 
And so push past what you want to do and do what pleases your heavenly father. Get your reward and prove to this entire world that you're a child of God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your unfailing love for us. The fact that, that we're wretched and we deserve hell and we've done nothing but show you hate and rebellion our entire lives. And yet you sent Jesus to, to love us unconditionally with the same kind of love that he tells us to love others with. That he would sacrifice himself on the cross for the world that hated him. God, I pray that we take that fact and we take this concept and we run with it as hard as we can. I pray that your Holy Spirit empowers us to go out this week and find one way with one person that we can try to reconcile, that we can show them grace that they don't deserve. God, let this not just be something that we check off on our list and say, yeah, I should do that, but let this be something that we prove our sonship and we prove our faith in you by doing. I know that your Holy Spirit will empower us to do this. God, help us just to not be lazy and to get up and actually do this, even though it's going to be awkward and we might feel fake. Father, I pray that that you just put a fire in us to begin to be more obedient to your son's commands. But above everything, thank you again for the cross, because that's the only way that we can come to you. It's why we worship you. It's the only way that we can live this new life is through what Jesus has done for us. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.